The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Well, that was quite a story, and there literally are hundreds of stories like that that Gideons could tell. The Bible says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And I love our Gideons and their wives. They do a tremendous job. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Next Sunday is come before winter, and that's technically not a Thanksgiving sermon, but it's one I preached here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving for many, many years. And so I'll be preaching on come before winter, but I wanted to talk to all of us this morning just a little bit about being thankful. And I saw this story in the Gospel of Luke, and it just captured my heart. And so we're going to look this morning at the thankful Samaritan. If you have your Bibles open to 17 and you're able, please join me in standing as we read verses 11 through 19 of Luke 17. This is the word of the living God. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, at Jesus' feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know that that last phrase rivets me. He fell face down at his feet thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. And do you realize that those of us who are saved have been saved from a much worse fate than leprosy? Leprosy was a dread disease. Now, I know here in the HCSB it calls it serious skin diseases, but we know that, that these were lepers, that they had leprosy. And uh, notice how this happened. It happened while Jesus was passing. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now, I've been teaching a course for the last several weeks called The Greatest Week in History, and it's about the gospel account of Luke of how Jesus came into Jerusalem on Sunday uh, and then how he spent the week in Jerusalem ministering there in the temple and then going at night to the Mount of Olives or going at night to the Garden of Gethsemane and then finally how on Friday he ended up on a cross. Well, this journey to Jerusalem had already begun. He was traveling with a purpose. He was going to Jerusalem where he would lay down his life not only for his disciples but for all of us. And so he was traveling and he had to go through Samaria and Galilee. He was on his way down the Jordan River Valley and would cross the river near Jericho. There he would meet Zacchaeus and change Zacchaeus' life. And then ultimately he went on up to Jerusalem to die. Now what that says is, is that all of us, like Jesus, are in passages in our life. Every one of us. Uh, you know, I'm facing a major passage when I announced earlier this month that the Lord had led me to announce my retirement in May. Uh, this is going to be a radical change for me. Uh, the last 43 years, I have been a pastor full time. Uh, as much of a change as it is for me, it's a bigger change for Mary. 
uh, because she became a pastor's wife one month after we got married. Uh, You say, aren't you afraid? No, I'm excited about the prospects. I'm excited about the prospects for us. This is a new era of our lives. I'm excited about the prospects for all of us uh, to get a new pastor, to get a young pastor. You say, how do you know we're going to get a young pastor? Well, you'd be foolish to call 165 years old. I just tell you that right now. You know, you you don't want to get rid of the old geezer and then call another old geezer to take his place. But uh, I'm excited about it. I really believe our best days are still ahead. And by the way, we've been living on mottos for three years. Uh, Since he bids me seek his face, believe his word, and trust his grace. You say, what's going to be the motto for the next year? The last part of that hymn, I'll cast on him my every care. And wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. God knew that when I selected that passage three years ago. I did not have any idea I would announce uh, this past month that I would be retiring at the end of May. But we're all passing through life. Some of us are, are way down the road. Some of you are just beginning your road. But Jesus was passing through. And then notice the problem. As he entered a village, the Bible says ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I want to point out four things. First of all, they were suffering. The Bible says they had serious skin diseases. Let me tell you why they were suffering. First of all, they were suffering physically. Now, you've probably never seen a man or a woman with leprosy. Uh, When I was a young man, there was still one leprosarium open in the United States of America, and it was on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. But with the development of penicillin and other antibiotics, leprosy, for the most part, has been eradicated in other than maybe the third world countries. They don't even have leprosariums in other countries now. But leprosy was a terrible disease. It would begin at your extremities. It would begin with your fingers and your toes. And the disease, once it hit, there was no cure for it. And it would begin literally to eat the flesh away. And then as the flesh fell away, the bones would begin to disintegrate. And lepers in the Old Testament and the New Testament had to wrap rags around their extremities because if they didn't, they could be walking and a finger would fall off or a toe would fall off. And and there was a horrible smell because the skin was in putrefaction. It was absolutely horrible physically to suffer with leprosy, but it was also horrible because of the emotional suffering. Because when you were diagnosed as a leper, you had to leave your hometown, you had to leave your family, and the only other people you could associate with were other lepers. And you literally traveled away from towns, and you asked people to bring food out to you because you were not allowed to go in those towns. And whenever someone came walking toward you, you had to hold your hand up over your face and cover up everything that you could cover up and scream, unclean, unclean, and the people would know to get away from you, you were a leper. There was a terrible emotional toll with leprosy. But here's the worst part. Most people who had leprosy felt like they had been cursed from God because leprosy was considered punishment of God on a person's sins. Now, let me say this. I hope that you don't think that about every time someone gets sick that God is punishing them because of their sin. Now, there are some cases, there are some cases you take a man who drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks, and finally he drinks so much that his liver is literally corroded And he has cirrhosis. Did sin cause his problem? Yes. You think about sexual immorality. 
you can get diseases from being sexually immoral. In that way, sin can cause disease. But leprosy happened for none of those reasons. And yet there was a terrible stigma about leprosy that you'd been cursed of God. So there was suffering. They were separated. They had to stay at a distance. It was literally against the law for them to come into a town. They could be stoned for even trying to enter a town. They had to stay on the outskirts of town. They were separated, not just from people in towns. They were separated from their own family. Their family could not have anything to do with them. But notice when they saw Jesus, they were standing. They wanted to make sure Jesus saw them. And so they stood up. And they were shouting. They began to raise their voices. Now, you know, they were shouting because they wanted to be healed. Can I tell you that those of us who've been saved from our sin ought to do a little shouting too? I want to tell you, there's something wrong when the church loses its shout. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Brother, that's shouting ground right there. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who's been saved in this building, you were on the road to hell, you were on a broad, wide road, and you were going down that road just as fast as you could, and the grace of God intercepted you. Not one good thing that you had ever done stopped you from going to hell. It was the love of Jesus. And we ought to do some shouting about that today. I'm excited. Man, I tell you what, I'm excited because I know what God did in the past, he'll still do today. He'll hear us when we call upon him. They stood and they raised their voices. They were shouting. And then notice what Jesus said. He said, go and show. I like that. You know, I like it, Brother Jim Miner, when I can alliterate points. But I also like it when I can rhyme points. He said, here's two things you need to do. You need to go. Now, what Jesus is saying is, hey, I've heard what you said. I know what you want. It's already being done. You go. And what are you going to do? You're going to go show yourself to the priests. That was how from the Old Testament days, a leper could have his cleansing recognized. If he were cleansed, he would have to go to a priest. And that priest would look at him and he'd hold his hands out. And if there was any sign on his hands of any kind of putrefaction, the priest would say, no, you're still a leper. Get away, get away. You're still unclean. And these men ran When he said go, they ran to the priest and they held up their hands and they pulled up their their robes and they, they let the priest examine them. And instead of seeing leprosy, he saw skin that was as white as snow. And he pronounced, you're clean, you're clean. Can you imagine the shouting they did then? Praise God, I'm clean. Praise God, I don't have leprosy. Praise God, I can go home to my wife and children. I can go home to my mom and daddy. I can go back to work. I can become a regular member of society. Praise God. And nine of them did just that. A command, go and show. And the Bible very plainly says they were healed. But notice in verse 15, you see that little verse there? That first little word, but one of them. I'm so glad that's in there. I'm so glad that but is in there. You know, anytime there is a but in the Bible, you need to see what it's there for. 
That's like therefore. If it says therefore, look and see what it's there for. Why, why does it say, but it says that nine of them left. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned. And again, he shouts, shout with a loud voice, gave glory to God. And notice he fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And then here were the words that people were shocked about. And he was a Samaritan. You think we have rivalries today? I know some of you Auburn fans should have been down at the altar a while ago. I didn't see a leper cleanse last night. But I saw a bounce. And a man running down the field didn't have any idea where the ball was. It dropped in his hands. In fact, he was so surprised, he juggled it. And then he said, I can score a touchdown. And when he went in the end zone, man, Auburn fans just jumped up and down and yelled and hollered. You say, you didn't like it because you're an Alabama fan. No, I had picked Auburn to win. I picked Auburn to win my preacher's picks. You know what they're calling that now? The miracle at Jordan-Hare. You know, that's going to go down in history as a miracle at Jordan-Hare. Can I tell you, and, and I'm not picking on my Auburn friends. Can I tell you that heaven didn't give half a hallelujah about who won that ball game last night? Oh, you're an Alabama fan. Well, we won too. Not very well. I think Coach Nick owes us about $6 million change on his salary. Can't do better than that. But I want to, and you know, isn't it ridiculous? You know, if I go out today, some of y'all got your flags on your car, you know. Some of y'all stay ready to tailgate, you know. Some of y'all already planning next September tailgating. Listen, how foolish are we? 10,000 years from now, it won't make any difference who won the game last night or who wins the national championship this year. But you know what will make a difference? If people are cleansed by Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. And there are so many people. Like this lady's dear family. People think well they're they're hardcore cases. They can't be saved. There's no such thing as a hopeless case with God. Some of you are in here today and you think, well, preacher, you don't know all the things I'm going through. I don't need to know all that you're going through. I can tell you this. There's a God who loved you so much he sent his only begotten son and he died on the cross for your sins. Not only did he die on the cross, he took your hell on the cross for his sins so that you and I don't have to go to hell. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you're going to heaven. And when you get to heaven, you need to take as many people with you as you can because we don't want hell full and heaven empty. Have you thanked God for your salvation? Have you thanked God for his grace? Have you thanked God for his blessings? You know, we have a holiday called Thanksgiving. You know what we do on Thanksgiving? We eat, you know. We eat turkey, and we eat ham, and we eat dressing, and we eat cranberry sauce, and some of you are foaming at the mouth already. And then we eat, Pecan pie or pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie. 
And we say, that's Thanksgiving. No, you know what Thanksgiving is? Thanksgiving is getting down on your knees and say, God, you have been so good to me. God, your grace gave me something I don't deserve. And your mercy didn't give me something I do deserve. And I'm covered with your love. And the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me is one day I'll die. (laughs) And then I get to see you face to face. I want to tell you, folks, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got an awful lot to be thankful for. Notice what Jesus said, though. He says, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the people that will be thankful to Jesus today? And notice what Jesus said to him. Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, you see, here's the point. Under Mosaic law, the priest could pronounce a leper clean. But the priest could not pronounce him whole because for him to be whole, his sins had to be forgiven. And the priest could not do that. Only the high priest, the Lord Jesus, could say, you are whole. I hope today you've been cleansed of all your sin. You say, preacher, well, at one time I was, but I've sinned again. I have good news for you. The Bible says if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a mighty God we serve. And we need to thank him each and every day of our life. We don't just need to thank him once a year, gathered around a table full of food. We need to thank him with every breath. I hope that's your goal this year at Thanksgiving. And I hope you'll remember that he is the source of all true blessings, that he is the only source of salvation. You know, every now and then, I I don't know why some people don't like Baptists. I really don't. I love Baptists. I've loved Baptists ever since I was born. My mother and daddy were Baptists when I was born. I love them. You know what happened last week after that super typhoon hit the Philippines? The Southern Baptist disaster relief mobilized. We've already got people. We've already got boots on the ground there in the Philippines helping people. And we ought to. Because you know what we're saying to a lost and dying world? We care about you. You know, we're known best for what we're against than what we're for. I got tickled this week. Bob Pittman, who's been here for several revivals, supposed to come back in in August. I'm going to Encourage the church and the new preacher to go ahead and honor that commitment because it takes you a while to get old brother Bob. He said, told this story. He said uh, he was asked to go back to a church where he had been and perform a wedding. And He said, well, he didn't really want to because he said when he went into evangelism, he thought he wouldn't do any more weddings and funerals. But he said, well, these people were nice and sweet. And he had married mom and daddy. And now their child was getting married to a wonderful Christian girl. And he said, uh, he said he'd do it. He said uh, the wedding went fine. said they marched in. Everything was all prim and proper. And he said uh, he went through the wedding and pronounced them husband and wife. And he said as soon as he uh, pronounced them husband and wife and he introduced them uh, and they started to leave, he said the music changed. And he said uh, it wasn't some of these beautiful classical songs, Paula, that we hear at, at weddings. He said... It was a dancing tune.
Now, Bob Pittman and I are conservatives. We're ultra-conservatives. I mean, even the conservatives call us fundamentalists. And he said, that couple did not march down the aisle. He said he took that girl and he started twirling her down the aisle. And he said he stood there and he was shocked. He said, my mouth fell open. And he said, I couldn't believe they were in God's house and they just got married and they were twirling out the door of God's house. And Bob Pittman thought he was going to say something. And then he said, God spoke to him. You know what God told him? He said, preacher, do you remember talking to this young couple? Do you remember them telling you that both of them were committed Christians? Do you remember both of them telling you that both of them were coming to the marriage altar as virgins? Do you remember them telling you that they planned to establish a Christian home? Do you remember them telling you how thankful they were that God brought them together? Do you remember those things? They have a right to dance. And Bob said, I didn't dance, but he said, I shuffled my feet just a little bit. (laughs) I'm dancing in my heart today. I've got so much to be grateful for. God has been so good to me. I don't want to be like those nine that were glad they were pronounced clean, but they didn't come back to thank him. Have you really thanked him today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Lord, there's not a person in this building today who deserves to go to heaven. But in our unworthiness, the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. And Father, I pray today that we would remember and be thankful. And Lord, if there happens to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in this room today who's never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Lord, they would really have something to be thankful for if they would come down this aisle and give Jesus their heart and their life today. And Father, not only would we be thankful for it today, we'd be thankful for it in eternity because your grace would save them and then your grace would keep them and one day your grace would present them spotless to our Heavenly Father. Father, help us to remember and be grateful. Help us to be humbly Grateful, not grumbly hateful, as Adrian Rogers used to say. And Father, may we give you the thanks and the honor and the glory and the praise. For you alone are worthy. And we make this prayer and give this invitation in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 591. Hymn 591. The staff's going to come down here and stand in the front. You need to make a decision. You need to make a commitment. I'm going to ask you to step out the aisle as we begin singing. Come from the balcony. It only takes a moment. Come from the main level. God speaks to your heart. Maybe you just want to come and thank God for something in the altar. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.